Thank you for joining us on the Southwest Florida Business Podcast. I'm your host, Chris, and today we're joined by Sergio De Caesar from Max Business Profits. Now, Sergio is a profit and growth expert. He's a business exit strategist. Um, it, it's I enjoy talking to him because he understands businesses from a lot of different angles, um, and he can break them down into pretty simple terms where it helps me as a business owner understand what I need to look at, uh, maybe what I'm doing wrong or where I'm short-sighted, and it gives you a path forward on how to address it. So we talked through some of the different ways that he does this for current customers, businesses that he's worked with in the past. Uh, we do talk about the difference between growing and scaling. That was pretty interesting from from my perspective. Um, and if you are a, a business down here in Southwest Florida and you want to take things to the next level, you want to understand how your business runs, what cash flow actually is, um, where your profits are and where you really should take your business, I recommend reaching out to Sergio. He knows a lot and uh, he can shed quite a bit of light on maybe what you're doing well and uh, maybe what you need to improve on. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode with Sergio from Max Business Profits. This episode is brought to you by Southwest Florida Podcast. We help businesses make marketing videos. Now, a lot of businesses see the value in video content, but they don't know where to start. Filming, editing, posting on social media, these can take up a lot of time and they can be pretty frustrating. And that's where we come in. We work with businesses to highlight the value they bring to their customers and share that online. Now, we've created the Marketing Manager's Guide to Video Content that you can download for free by following the link below or scanning the QR code on your screen. Now, enjoy the show. Sergio, thanks for joining me, man. I appreciate it. No problem, Chris. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, so I wanted to talk <clears throat> to you about a handful of things because as I reorganized this business and as I didn't listen to your advice, I don't know <laughs> what, three, four months ago, yeah. uh, found myself in this spot. And so after you and I talked, it gave me a lot of clarity around what I should be looking for in terms of how I need to restructure this, what goes into the roles, how to look at different aspects. So um, thanks for joining me. I wanted to bring you on here and talk about some of those different aspects for mm -hmm. sure. Um, but I guess to kick it off, I want to dive in and give people some some sort of value right up front uh, that I know I can't deliver, and I'm glad that you're here to do it. Um, but talking about the difference between an operator versus an owner, I know I've been in the trap of being an owner-operator. So what are your thoughts on it? And let's just go from there. Well, I mean, let me preface it by saying that, you know, I'm a certified business coach. I'm a certified exit strategist. I have a number of certifications, value builder, whatnot. And the, the one common theme amongst business owners is, you know, they wake up one morning and you go, why am I working for this schmuck who doesn't know what he's doing, right, when I can do this better? Well, that's great. You have a skill set. So they go into business and they start their skill set. Well, the problem is they don't have the other skill sets that it takes to run a business, right? What other skill sets are we talking about? Well, do we understand financial understanding? Do we understand what it takes to make a profit? I'm not saying to make the money or the revenue, but I'm talking about making the profit. They're two different things. Yeah. Okay. Do you have the marketing expertise? Do you know how to reach the people you're trying to reach and give them the message they need to hear in order for them to buy? A lot of guys don't do that. A lot of gals don't know that. You know, and the other thing is processes and innovations. You don't make your money as a business owner at the price point that you sell things. You make that money in the efficiency you deliver it. Because the more efficient you become in delivering that, the more you can squeeze into the same amount of time. Yeah. And most, you know, when I, when I had my IT company and I sold my IT company back in um, 2007, I took my business from 30,000 to 300,000 in three years. Why? Because I knew at some point I was gonna sell. I was getting burned out. <clears throat> and I called a broker in and I said, broker, give me a number, tell me what I can sell this for. Comes in, looks at inventory, looks at staff, looks at equipment, writes a number on a piece of paper, slides it over to me. So I open up this piece of paper and I look at this number and I'm like, man, I'm going to pound this guy in the head and throw him out the door. I said, I'm insulted. 
I make more than this in a year. And he gave me his reasons why. I didn't believe any of it. I think he was just looking for a quick sale. Either way, I asked the gentleman to leave. I spent the next year finding out what exactly makes a business valuable, what needs to be done, how is it looked at from the outside in, because nobody wants to buy a job. Yeah. Right? People want to buy a business. Unfortunately, that is what end up people end up buying is a job. So I spent the next year rearranging, restructuring the whole IT business of mine, um, did some different things, got some stuff out of the inventory, put some stuff in the inventory. I sold that business a little longer after that, let's say about 14 months later, for five times more than he'd written on that piece of paper. Okay, so when you were in that spot, right? When you, when you got that number and then you started to look for what you needed to fix, what was one of the first things that you actually looked at and addressed? Profitability. And one, how did you figure out what where your profitability was at at the time and then what did you do to actually increase that well when when you look at it look you need to keep good numbers in your business right <clears throat> there's the things there's the cost of goods <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> there's the cost of goods there's your labor what you pay for labor what kind of output your labor gives you based sure. on what you you know so i had to look at all these things i had to trim the fat so uh, there were things that were low margin items Okay, I sold a lot of them, but they were low margin items. I got rid of them because there's only so much shelf space yeah. in a shop. You have to put the items that have the highest margin and then have the highest demand. So that was one thing I did. I looked at my labor. You know, I told these guys, look, if I'm paying you X amount of dollars an hour, this is what I need in output in an hour, a day, a week, whatever it is. And that number usually varies depending on the business from three to five times what you're paying these people on the gross scale. Um, there's a number of things, but you know, the most important thing, getting back to your original question is I had to stop thinking as an operator. Okay. Okay. Um, and one of the things in stopping to think like an operator is, okay, you got to get out of the habit of saying, you know what? I think it's just better. I do this myself. I can do it better than anybody else. Blah, 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 blah. You got to get out of that mindset. It's a tough mindset to get out Absolutely. of, especially earlier on when you're looking at, when you don't understand the... This is kind of the trap that I found myself sure. in is I didn't understand the cash flow piece. I didn't understand how these things worked. And if you don't have that continuous velocity of sales and that, that you know, I know that this amount, at least close to this is going to come in, you wonder, okay, does it make sense to actually pay somebody to do that? Like, should I outsource that? Should I, it's like, I'm spending the money, but it, I don't think that's the right way to necessarily look at it. I don't know. Does that make sense? Um, it does. It, where you spend the money is important too. Yeah. Right? Sure. So, I mean, if you're talking about a capital improvement, you're talking about better equipment to make you more efficient, all right, to shorten the sales cycle, well, then it makes sense. Yeah. But you have to do those calculations too. So if I spend X amount of dollars and I shorten, let's say I get one more sale a day out of this, how many sales do I have to have extra to pay for that piece of equipment? Right. Got now, it. now you have something tangible. Now you have something you can go, okay, I know in six months if I do this, it's paid off. And now I'm now it's adding more to my bottom line. So and people mistaken revenue with profit all the time. How so? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, well, people say, Well, you know, that job we did that job and that was a ten thousand dollar job. Okay, don't tell me what you made, tell me what you kept. Okay. At the end of the day, when you pay all your expenses, you pay your materials, you pay your labor, you pay your insurance, you pay your overhead, you pay your car payment for the business, what's left over? And this is why, as a business broker, I look at this stuff and go, okay, let me see your tax returns. Let me see your P&Ls, right? Because somehow I'm going to reconcile the P&L with the tax return because the tax return, as we already know, you go to an accountant, what do you want to do? You don't want to pay taxes. You want to pay the least amount of taxes. So you take every deduction under the sun. Right. So at the end of the day, your business grossed a million dollars. Okay. But the tax return says you kept 50,000 of it. So when these same people come to me and they say, I want to sell my business, I say, Well, what are you looking for? Well, we did a million dollars last year. I'd like to get a million dollars for my business. Well, it doesn't work that way. Hmm. Because now you're asking me to go out there and convince somebody to pay a million dollars for your business to you. So they can make $50,000 a year. Does that sound equitable to anybody in this room? <laughs> Sounds like a perfectly fair trade. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> no, I don't know either. But no, that's buying a job. Yeah. Well, and does is that 
is that a common situation for business owners to find themselves in when yes. they go to sell? Yes, because unfortunately, um, when people come to me to sell, and you know, and the weird thing about it is, this week was probably the first time I actually sat down with a business owner who's thinking about selling three years out, which is a good time for him to start. And most of my business owners come to me and they're like, well, we're thinking about selling next year. Or they woke up this morning, found out my wife has cancer. I need to sell. There's no preparation there. Yeah. How do I, you know, number one, we have to look at the books. We have to clean the books up. We have to understand, is it even worth selling at this point? I get this all the time. And it's heartbreaking because, you know, the time to sell is not when you're on your knees. The time to sell is when you're on your feet making the best profit you ever made. That's the time to sell. Yeah. Well, okay. So what do, what do you think is the the biggest thing that prevents business owners from actually knowing that? Is it that they don't know really how that works? Or is it that, that you talk to business owners who know that that's probably the case, but they don't want to look at it or deal with it? Where do you think it stems from usually? I think a lot of it is just, it stems from maybe just being ignorant about it. Yeah. And I don't mean that in a mean way. I just think sure. they've, they've never really thought it out to the end, right? So what's the what's the point of being in business? The point of being in business is, yes, you got to pay your bills and take care of your family. But at some point, you know, what what's the end game here? You can't do it till you drop dead because I can tell you 100% of all business owners end up leaving their business at some point. Yeah. It's a question of it's it's either on your feet, on your knees, or on your back. Yeah. So if you don't have an end game for your business, you really need to start thinking about one now. Okay. And are is that something that's important to you? Are you trying to get that word out to business owners like Absolutely. out in advance? Well, being being a certified exit strategist and being a, a value builder through John Warlow's program, um, we get to see the numbers. We get to see how many people actually do not plan and sell. And, you know, <clears throat> the scary part about it is, especially in Florida, <clears throat> excuse me, 80% of businesses that go up for sale don't sell. Really? Is about that, 80%. Okay. What's 75 in other parts of the country, but down here, I'd say it's probably closer to 80. Why? That's a lot. Right? Yeah. Why? why? Books are, are not, are not good. They're not well kept. Processes are not there. The owner has to go in and work. A lot of times people want to buy a business. They don't want to go in there to do the job. I don't know anything about installing carpet, right? That's what I have guys to do it for. I just want to own a business. I want to be the owner, not an operator. Yeah. These guys are all functioning as operators. So now I'm going to sell my business. Who's going to take my place in the business? Yeah. So if somebody were to buy that from you, basically, so one of the concerns in that case would be that you you make up so much of the work and so much of the value that if we were to buy your business and you weren't part of it, that that value would significantly drop. Right. Especially if you're the main guy. Yeah. Well, that was so. It's funny that you say that because that was a that was a big hesitation in terms of this whole thing that I've been doing. Was I talked to a handful of people that kept saying like, "You need to build your business to sell it. You need to be aware that if you sell your business and you're the kind of the the only thing that's holding it together, that you won't actually be able to sell it, or you'll get like twenty percent of what." It's really what you think it's worth. And that was a big wake-up call for me as I was doing some of this stuff is everything I built was kind of around if I were to scale this thing and make it super successful and sell all this stuff, at the end of the day, I would still be the only one in that spot that could do the thing that I was doing. You're the and talent. I, I was the talent. Yeah. And it's uh, it's not a reassuring feeling. It's, it's not um, – it it almost made it look like you're you're trying to figure out what the future is and you're trying to plan out how to do things and you know I've got a family now I want to have like right. stability right. and I just look at it and go oh man the further and further I get the the thinner and thinner the tightrope gets the like further along right. I get and it was um, I don't know it's been interesting to take a step back and try to look at these pieces of how do I restructure this so that way. Oh, I know that it's a fantasy to think that it couldn't run like, oh, I'll just leave it and it'll run perfectly. But like, 
to well, make it tomorrow, work. Tomorrow, yes, it would be a fantasy. Yeah. But if you planned it out right. Exactly. It's not a fantasy. It's a reality. People do it all the time. A hundred percent. And so it's not like, oh, I just, I put the right thing in place and magically it happens. But right. in that case, so when you get a business owner that's in that spot, right? They, they're two to three years out from selling and they are the operator in their business. Mm -hmm. Where do you start to help them like get back on course? The people that you can save, <laughs> how does that process start with? Well, it's a tough process because generally speaking, that's usually not the only thing going on. Okay. All right. So for instance, uh, some people I met with um, yesterday, in fact, um, they have to change the name of their business if they're going to sell it because their business mentions and revolves around their family name. Mm. So, you know, if somebody wants to buy that business, they have to be willing to accept somebody else's name on it, which generally for ego purposes doesn't really work that well. Yeah. And also when you're in the sales <laughs> process, right. like who is right. uh, under... <laughs> Right. So-and-so. Well, right. it's the old people. Right. I want to talk to Mr. Whatever. Well, yeah. he hasn't been here in three years, right? Yeah. But um, the other part is he's another guy who's a complete operator. Mm, okay. You know, so he's capped out at how many more accounts he can handle without getting more help. But he's always been reluctant about getting the help because he's like, well, I can't trust him, blah, blah, blah. Well, look, if you're a control freak, you got to get past it. Yeah. Right, because I was that way. I was that way. Were you? <laughs> yeah. When I um, <clears throat> when I got into my first IT business, I was a mobile service. I was the only guy. I answered to me and and nobody else, and it was cool. I was a technician. I was a talent. I was everything. Um, but it, I was capped at how much money I can make because there's only so many hours in the day. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I can spend my weekends and everything else and night times, and I have you know, fixing things and emergency situations, stuff like that. But I'm always going to be capped because I'm restricted by time. But if you can duplicate yourself, technicians, whatever, and put them on the road and do the same thing, now, you know, you're duplicating the efforts that you would do normally. So I was that way. Um, but I, I come to realize that um, I, I was going to be capped. There was no there was no place for growth. And there was certainly no place to scale. And that's another thing with business owners. They don't understand the difference between growth, business growth, and business scaling. I see these terms being used interchangeably all the time, and they are not the same thing. So what's the main difference? A lot of companies here <clears throat> experience growth. Sometimes it's tremendous growth. But with growth, growth in revenue, growth in expenses. And sometimes the expenses, even though they're staying in check with the growth, with the revenue, they tend to get a little ahead of what the business's capacity to pay it is, especially if you have to order materials or whatever, sometimes like in a roofing business. Roofing tile are months and months out, and a lot of these roofing suppliers, they want you to pay up front before you even get it. Sure. Well, you know, if you got to drop 40, 50, 60 grand, 70 grand on, on tile, that's 70 grand now that's not in your operating account that you can't pay payroll with or anything else, and you haven't even gotten the materials yet. So growth is simply revenue goes up, so does the expenses, usually in proportion. Scaling is when you get to a point where you can pretty much cap out to a degree. It's never going to be 100%. You can cap out the expenses and keep it within a couple percentage points, but the revenue continues to go up. Okay. That's what scaling is. Okay. So when you <clears> – <throat> So how do you are is one of the goals to help business owners as they go to sell a business is it to either help them scale or to at least position their business to be able to scale is that where people find more of the value <clears throat> Um scaling's a hard thing to achieve. Yeah. Very hard. Very few companies with the exception of one company I've worked with most have had plenty of growth but very few actually achieve scale. Now, the one company that did achieve scale with me was a company that was already doing $2 million when I started working with them. So when you start getting into that territory, you have a little more wiggle room, mm -hmm. okay? They went from $2 million to $10 million in three years with me. So it was a lot easier when some of those expenses. And, and believe me, I had to go in there and say, wait a second, if we don't need this right now, why are we buying it right now type of thing? Because a lot of times, and this was a business that was in business already 15, 20 years, mm -hmm. but they were so used to doing it a certain way 
that they weren't thinking outside their own box. So they needed a set of outside eyes to go, wait a second, this doesn't make any sense right now. Let's hold off on that. So if there's a company like that, they're they're doing well, two million revenue, solid business, been around that long. They know what they're doing in terms of delivering for customers, all that stuff. Uh, but when you see a situation like that, what was what was one of the key things that you noticed that needed to change? Here's the funny thing about that scenario. I'm going to tell you, they initially called me in as an exit strategist. They wanted to sell. Okay. They're like, you know, we're tired, we're burned out, we're, <clears throat> we're making $2 million a year, but running around with a hair on fire. <clears throat> it was a family business. They were fighting amongst themselves. A lot of that going on. Um, so at the end of three years, when now nobody's running around with their hair on fire, now they're making four or five times more revenue than they were before with half the effort. Guess what they don't want to do anymore? Yeah, not super interested in selling. Got it. Correct. So, all right. So that's kind of a byproduct of mm-hmm. one of these things. So in that case, what what were some of the things that you identified there? I don't want to go too in-depth. I don't yeah. want to like give it away. But like, what were some of the core things that you identified there that you see in other businesses too? A lot of times um, companies sell too many things. Okay. Okay. Um, they have too many services. One of the things I went in there and said, okay, let's look at what's selling. Let's look at what's not selling so much. Let's look at the profit margin on each and every one of those items and services. And we're going to cut the bottom third right off the bat. Well, you know, their eyes get all big and they're like, well, we can't do that. We offer this. We offered this for years. Well, how much are you making on this? Oh, we had like five people do it. Well, so the resources you're taking away from everything else to execute this five for a very low margin, apparently. Mm -hmm. Is it worth it at this point? Can't we take those resources and put them in the top margin items and do more of that stuff and promote more of that? Okay, that makes sense. So we cut the bottom third out. And then we reevaluate after six months, and then we realize, well, you know what? We can cut another bottom third. So now you're streamlining. You're only – you're making the highest profit – on the, on the biggest selling things or product services, whatever, the money's coming in better. And guess what? Now we can raise prices. One thing I see with business owners down here, they are afraid to raise prices. It's really, it's really, it's either one or the other. Yeah. Either they haven't risen, they haven't rose prices in five years, or they're so out priced out of the market that nobody can afford to use them. And when you can't differentiate yourself from your competitor, now it's, what's going to happen? Who wins? The lowest price wins, right? Sure. It's a race to the bottom. Yeah. And I see this all the time. Everywhere. Everywhere. It's crazy. Um, all right. That's interesting because that that has happened as I was early in the business. You just try all different things and you're willing to sell different stuff. And, well, maybe I can help these people. And then you think, well, one person bought this, so maybe 100 people can buy this. And you start going down that path. Right. So, so in that case, does it make sense for a smaller company to take those things that could possibly have potential, even if they're good products or good services, but right now because of where they're at, it's not a high profit margin? Does it make sense, even if it's temporarily, to cut some of those focus on the higher margin things and then as you get that to a, a scalable point, then you can always come back and, <clears throat> and reassess what this would look like if you were more efficient or – how, how would you view that? Well, you said a mouthful there. I know. And you you, you can't distinguish all 16 of those questions that I just asked you. <laughs> I can keep up. I can keep up. I can. I promise. Here, here's, here's what I tell my clients when it comes to new products or services or whatever. Number one, if you're not surveying your customers or your clients after a sale, then you're doing something wrong. And I'll tell you why. I'm not, I, I don't care about the survey card that comes in and says 555 five, five across the board. I'm, I'm concerned about the one that says three or four. I want to know why. Right? I want to know what I'm doing wrong. I want to know what I can be doing better. So if you want to test a new product, that's exactly what it is. Product or service, it's a test. You, know, you want to know what the people you do business who are buying from you now, what they want, ask them. Hmm. You know, I believe in surveys. I believe, you know, a simple five-question survey will tell you, you know, is there anything we could have done differently? 
Is there anything we don't offer you would like us to offer? That was part of the 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 whole trick with that two million dollar company I was talking about. It was getting actual customer feedback. We had stacks and stacks of survey cards that we sent out with every single job that was done. And when you know the people that weren't happy, we called them right up. Why weren't you happy? Now, are you going to get people who are just like to complain about stuff? Of course you are. Sure. You have to be able to separate the wheat from the chaff on that kind of stuff. But for the most part, <clears throat> people would be willing. People are way more willing to tell you on a postcard what they won't tell you to your face. Interesting. Yeah. Do you feel like you, you usually get better feedback from non-in-person? Okay. Now, there's always the people who are, who are raving fans. And sure. they'll, they'll, they'll shout it from the rooftops. They'll tell you. They'll tell everybody else. But the people who have a negative thing to say don't really want to say anything, don't want to rock a boat, don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but they're willing to say something, especially if it's an anonymous card, they're willing to say something there. Okay. Interesting. What do you typically see in those cards? Does it vary from business to business or do they tend to be the similar problems across the board? They vary, but most of it is is in reference, not so much to necessarily a product or a service, but a lot of it is the experience they had. Right, because now it's 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 not about the product or the service. It's about how people feel like they got treated. Okay. So you know, a lot of the companies who have higher priced services or products, a lot of that is based on the service they deliver with that particular skill set or that product. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't care if you got bargain basement prices on something you need. If you were treated like crap. Yeah, you're you're probably not going back. Yeah. Now, on the on the other side of that is if you were treated like a piece of gold and you paid a little extra for that, but your ego stroked and you're feeling good about it, you're going back and you're going to tell other people about the experience. For sure. So, you'll hear this a lot in the industry and marketing and stuff, customer journeys and stuff like that. Yeah. That's what that's really all about. Got it. Okay. So, for these businesses, going back to what we talked about is you, so you step into this, take a look at what services, products are, I guess, what the margins are, and then cut the bottom third. Kind of do that almost seems like on a six or 12-month basis is revisit that pretty consistently. Sure. All right, so you have that piece. There's getting the feedback. What else do you do in addition to that? As far as? Like prepping a company like that to get to the next level. Well, if we're talking about prepping a, a company for sale, okay, um, you've got to look at okay, what what do this, what what does the ramification of the sale do, do for them on a tax basis? You have to look at that because people okay. are like, I don't want to sell, or I want to sell cash, or no, I don't want to sell cash. I want to I want to sell it on payments or whatever. There's there's aspects of the financial that have to be looked at, and a lot of times people are like, you know, I'd like to get an outside sale, but in the case of that two million dollar company I was talking about, they didn't want to sell to an outside. They wanted someone in the family to pick up the business. That means getting funding and cashing out the original owners at some point. So there's some prep work that needs to be done there. But <clears throat> what I tell customers is I don't care what service or product you sell. That's Okay, let's start with a service. If you have a particular service, let's say it's a, an, an oil change. And it's not, but let's say it is. So why not turn that service into a company product. All right, so what does that mean? Yeah. I can go get an oil change anywhere, right? What's what's usually going to be the, the determining factor in where I get my oil change? Price and Price. then if they can take you relatively soon. right? Yeah. So if you take something like an oil change and turn it into an experience, well, now guess what? That's... That's a product of yours because only you deliver that service under those parameters. Got it. So it's a product. Understood. Right? Look at the movie industry. It used to be we'd go to the movies, sit in these crappy chairs that would kill your back eating stale popcorn. Have you been in the movies lately? Uh, some of them, they're like a, it's like a luxury It's experience. like a restaurant yeah. inside, right? Yeah. They changed the experience. Now look at the ticket prices. And people pay it now mm -hmm. because it's the experience. That's their product. 
Okay, the service is, is playing the music or playing the, the, the movie. But the product for whatever that company is, that's our product because we do this during that. We do this. We send somebody around. You can order drinks. You can get food. A product. They turn it into a product. Yeah. Okay. <coughs> so on the so I do want to talk about the the exit plan piece of this. So I know we've kind of been been covering it. So there's the where are people's heads at when they typically come to you from the exit? Like when they want to exit. I know you said they're they're burned out, but what? I guess spiritually, like we've been talking about, like where are people at? Like, what, where's their mindset at? Well, you've you've got two types of people. Okay, you got the people who are desperate now; they have to sell. Um, family issues, health issues, whatever. Um, that's a bad place to be. Now, the other side of it is you got people who don't have those problems, but they're under certain delusions as to what their company is worth. Got it. And those people I have to educate because you can go online and find 150 different websites that'll give you a guesstimation of what your business is worth, but most of the time they're not accurate. Um, we do va- we do valuations at my company, <clears throat> and it's amazing. I just did one. <clears throat> I just did one for landscape company, and and this is a stereotypical answer. Okay, what are you thinking about selling your company for? Which, what number do you have in mind? Well, million dollars. That seems to be the magical number. I don't know why it's it's a magical number. And I said, okay, well, you know, looking at tax returns, looking at P and L, looking at equipment, what they owe, liabilities, blah blah blah, assets. And I told him, I said point blank, I said, there's no way anybody's going to want to pay a million dollars for this. You don't have the numbers for that. He was not happy with me. I said, well. I didn't do this to your company. I'm telling you from a perspective of a buyer what they want to see as the acid test to whether or not this company is worth whatever you're asking for. So now he's got to make a decision. Does he hire a guy like me to help grow that revenue and make it worth closer to a million dollars or does he just keep doing what he's doing? Is it the mindset piece that you got to work with on people on? Is that a huge part of it? Mindset is is a big deal in my particular business. And my my practice is actually transitioning a bit um, where I used to only work <clears throat> dealing with <clears throat> actual skill sets like marketing, financials, and stuff like that. I'd say 85% of everything I did was that. And 15% was dealing with mindset. Now it's starting to be more <clears throat> like a 50-50, almost 60-40. Mindset. Mindset. <laughs> because, excuse me, um, what I'm dealing with is I'm dealing with certain belief systems that have been ingrained in people's heads from the time they were children. And I'm no different. I've gone through my transitions in life, my journey, and I'm at, I'm at where I'm at now because I had to shed a lot of these belief systems. Uh, you know, I come from very traditional Italian parents where, I mean, stuffing money in a mattress was where it was at. Sure. Well, we can't do that. It's not practical, right? There was no such thing as investment. You only saved. You know, you didn't put your money to work for you. You you hid it until either you dropped dead and somebody found it or you, you know, you gave it to your kids when you died or something. It was crazy. So I'm dealing with a particular mindset. Um, I used to run a high-end um, mastermind group, and I had a couple of heavy hitters in there from around town, GCs, attorneys, these kind of people. And one of the... Um, things with a with a mastermind group is every session you have somebody who sits in what they call the hot seat. Mm-hmm. So that person sits in the hot seat and they say, well, this is the problem I'm having with my business right now. So I'm the facilitator, trained facilitator. So everything about coaching, consulting, and facilitating, if you're any good, it's about the questions you ask. So he's going on, he's going on. So I'm, I'm picking up on stuff. I'm like, okay, Eddie, what about this? What about this? What about this? Well, by the end of my series of questions and him answering them for the group, they're all waiting for the input because they want to say what they think is going on here or how they can help him with the problem. Ultimately, what it turns out to be was a mindset issue that when I led him to the conclusion of what it really was, it was about him, not his business. 
this guy fell apart in the chair, started crying like a baby because he realized, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't tears of pain. It was tears of realizing, holy crap, that was me all along. Not this problem I think I had with this person or the marketing or whatever. It was me all along. You know, and the great thing about that is, you know, you have a bunch of people in there supporting you, you know, and it, it turned out to be really well and, and he's doing very well today. But it's that kind of thing. It's the mindset dealing with the spirituality. And there's traumas, you know, there's traumas like, you know, you grow up and if you don't grow up in, in a family that is is wealthy, you know, there's always a scarcity mindset, right? There's a fear of not having enough. Sure. You know? And, you know, I come from a middle-class, working middle-class family, and there was always that growing up. No, you can, we can't afford that. No, we can't afford that. Well, pretty soon you get into your 20s and your 30s, and that fear still stays with you. Yeah, so so, so that's a big part of what you're you're working on yeah. with these different programs. Is Absolutely. Like, is not just identifying, like, the business issues, but also identifying, like, where's your head at? Like, yeah, where's your head? Where's your trauma? Where's your triggers? Hmm. So, okay. you know, sometimes we have to get around that. What's and sometimes it's not, it's not very easy sometimes, but, you know, <clears throat> I study in a program by a gentleman called Chris Duncan who um, has a very good methodology and a, a shortcut to dealing with what we call the superconscious. What's that? Well, superconscious is where all that programming is. It's all hidden there. Now, your unconscious is what keeps you alive. That's where that fear comes in. Because you experience something, okay, it's kind of like relationships, right? You get into a relationship, you have a bad one or two, and then you're like, I'm out. You know, I'll get a dog, right? Yeah. <clears throat> that's your unconscious telling you that's bad, don't do that. It's like a protection. It's, it's yeah. the only purpose of the having the unconscious is to protect you from hurting yourself in some way or fashion. Mm. So, but the superconscious can be programmed through simple commands, just getting a person in the right meditative state. And it's it's not hypnosis, it's nothing like that. It's just setting a set of commands that will override the ones that are there now. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's been that's been a huge part of what I've been working on in the past like four or five months. So you is, understand what I'm saying. Yeah, a hundred percent. And it's um it's interesting the change that can happen with it. One, because you get to see that the change is possible you get to change kind of how you talk to yourself too, which mm. has been interesting. Mm -hmm. And then also when you bring in that repetition, like kind of focused on a goal, that's been helpful for me to change my thinking around, okay, you know, this sucks or this is a problem. And then you focus on that versus when you repeat those goals or the things that you're looking for, you suddenly start to change your thinking around, okay, what's the solution to this problem? And then the amount of possibilities that open up <clears throat> when I do that yeah. is <clears throat> the world gets wider, the possibilities for where you can go sure. seem to get so much wider versus when I would focus on why this won't work, how this is going to fail, all those kind of things. It's been an interesting transformation, but it's not a, it's not a one and done. It's like mm -hmm. an everyday thing. Well, you for know, me at least. Right well, now. and here's the thing. Here's here's what you need to realize, and what most people need to realize, and and this it, it happens in this program that I'm doing, is we're we operate in certain structures, right? That we're, that we're kind of brought into operating in. One structure is a problem solving structure. Okay. Well, you know, I've been through these crappy relationships. Maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe I need to fix something. I have to fix me before I can. Right. Sure. That's the wrong way to think. Okay, there's nothing wrong with anybody. It's just the structures we've been taught to operate in. Okay, what do okay? you? So uh -huh. if if you're if you focus on being a creator versus a problem solver, things start to shift. Like my whole life, I've been a problem solver. Haven't been my problems necessarily. I fix other people's problems. So that's not the same structure we're talking about. We're talking about the structure of problem solving where you know what. I'm fat or I'm ugly or my feet are too big or whatever it is. Sure. I have to fix that about me. Well, no, you don't have to fix that about you. You're not broken. And incidentally, that's the name of the book um, by Chris Duncan. Uh, they kind of got me off on my journey a couple of years ago was, you know, um, you're not broken. It's the name of the book. And it was very interesting and it resonated with me. And I said, okay, there's, there's, I need to learn more about this. And then when I finally got into it and started realizing that, you know, we don't have to fix ourselves. We just have to operate in a different structure. 
Yeah, well, and, uh, the the thing that tipped me off to this was uh, was an interview with a a psychologist slash professional sports coach who mm-hmm. trained like the top top tennis athletes. And it was interesting how he talked about it was all around how people talk to themselves and the way that you operate through that. So before that, it was like very negative all the time and like kind of, yeah, operating that space like, right. oh, it's broken or like, why would you do that? That's so right. stupid. And then it was interesting to hear him say, these guys would get to number four, number three in the world in terms of like tennis champions. Sure. But there was always that something that they couldn't break past. Yes. And that was that piece of their mindset of how they talk to themselves and how they operated. And so I, well, you're from Long Island originally. I am. Yeah. yeah and so the term self-love makes you want to throw up because you're like, <laughs> this is, this is disgusting. How could right. you talk like this? But then when you're like, oh, okay. Like the concept of self-love is actually, even if you break it down from the most cynical perspective, it's yeah. actually a more, more practical way to live your life. Even if you take away all the woo-woo stuff, it's it's more practical because you're kind of on your own team and you take away, like imagine you're trying to go do something and there's somebody standing here like, you're a piece of shit, like like all the time. You'd be like, I'm gonna knock you out. What are you doing? And then you'd focus on that instead of the task at hand. Right, but if you're eight years old and you're hearing that. It stays in there. It stays in there. Yeah. And even when it does, and it's not true. And like with traumas, and I've been through my set. I'm ex-combat military. I've been through my set of, sets of traumas from childhood, dysfunctional family from the from the word go. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and I've been through my sets of, of traumas. But here's the one thing I realized about trauma: it's they're not real. They were real when they happened. Okay, but here we are, thirty years later. It's not real anymore. The only place it's real and alive is where in your mind. That's it. You don't know that about me. Nobody else knows that about me. So unless I blab that to people and tell people I'm dysfunctional, it's not real anymore. And you kind of uh, you kind of live it when you keep saying that oh, you yeah. are dysfunctional. And people live in their heads and they live in their father telling them they were no good or their mother's telling them they were no good or whatever. And they hear that. You know, and there's only six basic uh, reasons why people dysfunction like that. And one of them is, okay, um, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve it. How many people you see walking around, oh, I can't do that. I'm not good enough or whatever. Well, that's in your head. For sure. Or else. Sure. Well, and so I, so I would imagine that that's something that you run into with business owners in terms of Absolutely. pricing and charging people for things. Because that was a big thing that I had to get over at the beginning, yeah. especially get being new. To it's more common into- than uncommon. I can't tell you how many companies I went in into them and said, listen, I know what the market bears on this. You are way underpriced. Way underpriced. Yeah. No, I, we can't charge. You know, I had an electrician who, who, um, <laughs> I love this guy. He was great, humble guy, um, and he would put up pricing and stuff. And you know, he was so caught up in the fact that he felt like he was overcharging people. I said, "I'm a consumer. I look at that, and I don't think you're overcharging me. You know why? You know what needs to be done. I don't." I'm not paying you for the wire or the copper or what. I'm paying you for your expertise to know how to do it right. Yeah. If I didn't think that was worth of any value, I'd be at Home Depot right now buying a coil of wire. And when I started putting it to him in that you know, perspective that just because you're a master electrician doesn't mean you have a bunch of, of apprentice electricians out there gauging your work. Charge what you need to charge to make your business thrive. That's but, the point of it. And that's, I think, a big part of having a service business that's that can be tough, especially at the beginning, is because you look at the costs and you go like, I don't know if this should be that high. But then you look at, okay, well, there's all the other software. There's the time. There's the monthly recurring costs. There's the rent. on vehicles, overtime. All this kind of stuff that is somewhat hidden to you at the beginning. But even just taking all that out is like, Oh, this is just my time. But I think that that's the wrong way to look at it. Absolutely the wrong way to do it. And I'll do you one better. Okay. I get business owners, I ask them about their pricing, and I can teach a course on pricing. I can spend six days talking about nothing but pricing in a business and how to do it effectively. But, you know, I'll go into a business and I'll ask them, I'll say, well, how did you come up with that price on a service call? I remember that question. (laughs) Right. 
<laughs> How did you come up with that? Well, that guy over there does it for X amount. That guy over there does it for X amount. I figured I'd undercut both of them and get the business. Well, guess what? It doesn't work like that. Profits, expenses. I had an AC guy I worked with for a couple of years. He's actually in a grow network now, and he's actually doing very well now. But um, I had a guy a couple of years ago, and I said, how did you come up with that service call price? And the answer I just gave you exactly what you told me. I said, okay, let's, let's do a little exercise here. Let's break it down what it costs to run a service call from the, the labor, mileage on the vehicle, gas, insurance. We'll break it down by the day. And then you come up with that number and tell me how that jives with what you're charging. He was stunned. He was stunned. He goes, I'm charging about half of what I need to be charging just to break even. Yep. Yeah. Now, well, you hope to make it up in volume, but what if you don't? What if you don't? You know? Well, then you put yourself out of business. You're like, that's what ends up happening. You're like racing to that bottom. Yeah, that's what ends up happening, unfortunately. You know, well, it's interesting. Once that's you why saw- most businesses. I mean, you get a you get a business. What's the life cycle uh, on startups, right? How many of them are, are done after two years? I think most It was like ninety something. It's like it's like, um, it's like a good twenty thirty percent. Well, uh, oh, I'm thinking. I guess I'm thinking <clears throat> of restaurants. Restaurants are like ninety percent, ninety six. Oh, they got their own category. Yeah, <laughs> their own category of of uh, what makes them fail and stuff. Yeah, of going out of business. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting journey. But how so right now in terms of where you're at in your business, who are the types of businesses that you're most interested in working with? Like who do you feel like you are bringing the most value to right now? Definitely service companies. Okay. I do on occasion work with restaurants. Restaurants are a tough thing because especially in this town, rents are very high for restaurants. That's a killer right there. Mm-hmm. Food costs are going up and up and up. So if you notice, you go and and you have uh, a dinner at a restaurant, you know, the portions are getting smaller and the bills are going up. So it's hard to compete with that, especially when you have a hundred other choices. So I, I try not to work with restaurants too much. Retail, um, <clears throat> it's difficult because there's always discounting involved. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in discounts. I believe if you want to you know, reward loyalty with your customers, then okay, there's there's discounts involved. But like to use discounts to bring in new, totally against it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for every for a 10% discount, you have to do 50% more business to make up for that. What do you mean? If you give a 10%, that means over, you know, X amount, you're going to lose 10%. Mm-hmm. That means you have to, if you're doing 10 at a normal price, you'd have to do 15 to get the same amount of money at a 10% discount, more or less. Oh, uh, okay. I see what you're saying. So I'm not a big fan of discounts. Got it. And so you're you're creating more work and you end up attracting not Well, you have to do more business to make up for the discount you give. And you're, not, you're also probably not attracting the ideal Well, customer. I mean, some businesses revolve around good discounts. I'm not mm-hmm. saying, you know, when you're in a, in a competitive industry like tires or something like that, yeah, discounts come in handy, gets people. And that's, but, you know, the whole point of hoping to get a discount is to come in, woo the customer so they come back later when there isn't a discount. Got it. That's the whole point of a discount. Got it. So with service- Like changing brands, right? Yeah. We change a brand. I'm going to give you an incentive to try my brand. And if you like it, you'll come back and buy it. Got it. Got it. So on the service-based side, why do you like working with service-based? Because they're the easiest ones to to bring the revenues up. Okay. You can most easily identify where those kind of log jams are (coughs) and then where to go from there. Yeah. Most of the time, they're all doing the same. They're all making the same mistakes. Okay. So whether it's an electrician, uh, whether it's home watch, whether it's um, a car mechanic, doesn't matter. They're all making the same similar mistakes. Got they all it. have the same mindset issues. They all have the lack of financial understanding, the lack of marketing. Okay. And marketing is kind of a deceiving word. I, I tend not to say I work in marketing. I tend to say I work in messaging. Okay. Because the message is what counts. Marketing is just a disbursement of the of the message. Sure. But if you don't have the right message, um, you know, recently I held a workshop where we were talking about elevator pitches and getting people within a couple of sentences interested in what you do. And it was amazing how so many people have not perfected 
that simple elevator pitch, it, it blew my mind. I mean, I had realtors in there who were 15 years in the business, and I get them to stand. I said, "Stand up, tell me the pitch. We'll evaluate it. We'll critique it. And make it better." Man, they're they're rambling still after three four minutes. I I still am not sure what the heck they were doing. You know, they just they don't really know what to say. Yeah, you know the the whole point of the elevator pitch, the whole part of the message, is again to ask the next question. Oh, really? Like, how do you do that? Like for me, a, a pitch I've used in the past is, you know, you give me fifty minutes, I'll I'll find you fifty thousand dollars or more in your business. Wow, really? How do you do that? Bingo. Yeah. Now you start the conversation. Now the conversation begins. But you know, I some of these people, they just you know, it's like networking. If you're not, if you don't have your pitch down, you don't know how to handle that conversation or that one-to-one conversation, um, you need to get trained on that. Yeah. That's important. You're the tip of the spear. Yeah, and if you don't know what that message is, then yeah. nobody- If you don't know th- what your own value proposition is, how are they going to know? 100%. Okay. So um, <clears throat> I guess as we kind of wrap up, this is, we should do this again, I Absolutely. think. Absolutely, anytime um, as we As we wrap this up, where- is there anything that you want to leave for business owners? Um, I also want to know where they can find you, everything sure. like that, how they can connect. But is there anything that you want to wrap up with as a message to business owners? Well, I think what I would tell any business owner is decide what you want out of that business. Decide whether you want to be an owner or you satisfy just being an operator. At the end of the day, you will be leaving your business. It's just a question of how. So do you want to cash it out? and continue to make money on that business long after you're not there? Or are you going to let it fall by the wayside? Are you going to let, you know, life put it away for you? Yeah. You you have to make that decision. It's an asset, and you want to keep it as an asset and use it and cash it out as an asset. Got it. Got it. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you coming and doing this because this this kind of stuff – I hope this is helpful for the listeners, but I know it's me helpful too. for me because it actually puts things into a context where as I move forward and I restructure these things, like it, it gives me the ideas that, um, that I kind of need to avoid some of the same mistakes that I've been making. So thank you. And our conversations two weeks ago, that was hugely helpful. So I appreciate it. Um, and where can people find you to work with you? Sure. Um, my website is maxbusinessprofits.com. That's where my home is. Um, a direct line to me is 239-580-7408. And my email address is sergio at maxbusinessprofits.com. Perfect. And we'll include that in the show notes so people can find that easily. But Sergio, thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. It's a pleasure being here. This episode is brought to you by Southwest Florida Podcast. We help businesses make marketing videos. Now, a lot of businesses see the value in video content, but they don't know where to start. Filming, editing, posting on social media, these can take up a lot of time and they can be pretty frustrating. And that's where we come in. We work with businesses to highlight the value they bring to their customers and share that online. Now, we've created the Marketing Manager's Guide to Video Content you can download for free by following the link below or scanning the QR code on your screen. 